3: This is Dave Debo. Today, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we take you to one of the recent events commemorating Dr. King's life. The 43rd annual community celebration honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. took place this past Friday. Rather than its usual location at Kleinhans Music Hall, this time it was at the Meriwether Library, just a block from the Tops shooting scene. The event was like other years, though. In some ways, it featured song and dance and poetry and readings from, among others, Buffalo school students, this year's students from the Buffalo Academy for Performing Arts. And as in past years, the Master of Ceremonies was author and former city council member Cliff Bell. It's a pleasure to be with you. And this is a special place for
5: me, too. The public library is a place of service. Brother Bell, having brought up in a family that made it our theme to be a family of service. You young people are involved in that today. This is one of your long journeys to serve. And it's such a special opportunity for you because a lot of people will look at you and what you're doing, not only here, but wherever you go, they look at you and make a decision about what they're going to do based on how you influence their lives. I just hope that before you leave here today, you're going to see people on this program who have dedicated themselves to public service sometimes at the expense of personal spending or personal family relationships so you know you're in the age now where you're beginning to make decisions about where you want your life to go what do i want to be what do i want to do dr king's book was the bible he was a man of cloth he was a man of principle and his his skills were speaking oratory when i first started hearing dr king speak i had to go get the dictionary because some of the words he was using in his dialogue to explain what was going on and why we wanted to go and why we wanted to do what we wanted to do. I said, well, wait a minute, Webster helped me. But as I read more, and you should do this, whenever well, you get a, an opportunity, read some excerpts of some of these speeches. This man was dedicated in a way to equality, freedom, that cost him his life. As you know, he was assassinated. That's something about standing over what he stands for. There's a price to pay if you're a person of principle, but The thing is, always be sure that someone respects you and what you stand for. Don't worry about love. I know people that hurt the one they love, but they never hurt someone they respect.
3: The program continued with remarks from April Baskin, chair of the Erie County Legislature.
8: I've taken uh, some time this year to reflect on the work and the teachings of those who came before me, both on national stages and here locally. People like the great Dr. King, people like the Honorable Shirley Chisholm, people like the great Frank Merriweather Jr., the great Dr. Eva Doyle, the great Honorable Brother Bell. It is important that we recognize that these are leaders nationally and amongst us who understand that a community needs to understand how to obtain and wield power so that they can affect change. The power of the public sphere, the power of the bully pulpit, the power of political office, the power of the press. Now, although we are here to discuss Dr. King, it's actually a quote from his queen this year, Coretta Scott King, that struck me as I considered the terrible year that we have had here in Buffalo. And Ms. King said, It does not matter how strong your opinions are. If you don't use your power, now say with me, my power. My power. Queen King said, if you don't use your power for positive change, you indeed are a part of the problem. 2022 tested our community to its limit. The recent blizzard exposed the continuing flight our most vulnerable community members face. And nearly three years after the start of the pandemic and less than a year after a mass shooting, racial mass shooting targeted towards the black community right here on Jefferson Avenue, many of our neighbors continue to live by the knife's edge. I have watched our community struggle against systemic racism in politics, systemic racism in economics, and systemic racism in healthcare and this is why i've decided to dedicate my agenda and my work as a county legislator solely to equity removing the barriers to access and empowering the black community to develop resources develop institutions and develop businesses that serve their need i decided to figure out in every situation every single day that i wake up where do I have influence? Where does my power lie today? When the state and the county decided that they were going to give the Buffalo Bills a brand new stadium, I decided to look at where can I have influence in this situation? Now that deal, once it's done by all the powerful people that make that deal, it has to come before me at the county legislature. I said, oh, I got some power here. And I immediately began to speak out, if we are going to take taxpayers' dollars, the public's dollars, and invest millions of it in a new state-of-the-art NFL stadium, we must likewise get a part of this deal, millions of dollars that is going to be reinvested into our community. I fought for that, and right now we are negotiating that. We are going to have a brand new state-of-the-art NFL stadium, and we are going to have, along with that, millions of dollars of reinvestment into community needs. And that's because I took that time to realize I'm not the governor. I'm not Mark Polk, I'm not the county executive. I'm not the honorable Byron Brown, but I am April Baskin. And I got some influence in every situation. You have influence and you got to figure out where it is because if you don't, you are indeed a part of the problem. During the height of the pandemic, when people of color made up 37% of the positive cases in Erie County, all the while making up only 19% of the population. It drove home to me that this pandemic that hit us worldwide, it was disproportionately impacting Black people and brown people. And so I said to myself, I'm no special fancy guru on health, but I do know this, Black people and brown people are suffering at a greater rate than our counterparts, and I have influence. I have something that I can do. So I wrote a law requiring the county to implement an Office of Health Equity to develop a division of the health department that will solely study the needs and the disparities of health in black and brown communities. I put that law up for a vote, it passed, and this year we have, and forever, we will have an Office of Health Equity. But I'm only one person. I'm one elected official. Uh, of over a hundred here in Erie County, but even though I'm one person, one single mother from the west side of Buffalo, I still realize that there is power within me. There's lots of things that I can do and there's lots of things that I have influence over. My district, my children, and you too, you have the power of influence. You can influence your classmate, you can influence your Sunday school class, You can have an influence on the people who check you out at the grocery store or at the local family dollar. You're a parent. You have influence over your children. You have influence over your workplace. You have influence over the people that work next to you. That's your power. What are you doing with your pulpit? If you're not using your power to affect change, if you're not influencing people to make a difference, if you're not figuring out every single morning, but what can I do? in my space. As Coretta Scott King said, you are indeed of the problem. And so, guys, I want to thank you for having me again. I love coming to this event every year, and I just want to encourage you as we lift up Dr. King, uh, let's remember the words of his wife and always tap into our power and our influence so we're not part of the problem, but we are a part of solving it. God bless you all. Thank you so much.
3: Erie County Legislature Chair April Baskin at this year's Martin Luther King Jr. Day at the Meriwether Library. Now back to MC Cliff Bell.
5: Something to think about and work on. Think about this. Democracy in America is in deep trouble. And if we don't speak up and have something to say about where we're going, it's going to happen. Silence is betrayal in many ways because... When something happening to you and your family and your life that you disagree with, you ought to let it be known. Because if you don't say anything, it's going to happen. Martin also said, all men are caught in a network of mutuality tied to a single, single garment of destiny. and That whatever affects any one of us directly affects all of us indirectly. That I can never be what I am until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be who you are until i am what i ought to be that is the unescapable reality of life so people can do something so a thousand miles from you if it's a wrong move in the wrong direction it's going to invariably have an effect on you right here in buffalo new york so speak up act up show out let yourself in your presence be known Now I'm about to introduce a couple other people. See, the advantage I have of being old and been in bubbles so long is I know almost all the old people that came, or younger people that came behind me. Two of these much younger people that I'm going to introduce to you now who I belong to the uh, nationally known uh, Women's Organization of Storytellers. Now, one is Karina Amin. Karina Amin is working a, a strong program for Prisoners have people too. They're concerned about the, the justice system where obviously so many things have been done to African-Americans and other people of color that has been injustice. And she's working on that, and she's a great speaker. She's appeared on some of my programs of uh, the Martin Luther King Celebration Committee that I tiered for 30 years in the city of Buffalo. The other partner in this speaker setup is... Uh, sister holly sharon holly sharon holly comes from jawanda books does i say that right sir Zawadi, See, you know, i'm talking about if you know, no, know you ought to keep quiet Zawadi bookstore her and her husband kenneth have been owning this store for out so probably longer than any other acting bookstore around especially uh featuring african-american literature and all the other kind of writings and and things that That can help educate you about the fantastic things that african americans have done historically that many of us don't know anything about if we were to take a serious research of the things that african americans have contributed to society in general and the progress and development of the united states of america and invariably the world they would be very proud so stand up you know i'm black and i'm proud all right i want them to come to us now to make their presentations. Welcome, you outstanding young ladies of storytelling background. Of all doubt,
3: Up first, Sharon Holly in a performance from Friday's event re-recorded for this broadcast, she talked and sang about one of King's colleagues, Rosa Parks.
9: Thank you, Miss Rosa. You were the spark. Started our freedom movement. Thank you, Sister Rosa Parks. December 1st, 1955, our freedom movement came alive. And because of Sister Rose, you know, we don't ride at the back of the bus no more. Sister Rosa was tired one day after a hard day on her job. All she wanted was a well-deserved rest, not a scene from an angry mom. The bus driver said, you got to get up, because a white person wants your seat. But Sister Rose said, no, no more. I'm going to stay right here and rest my feet. And that's why we say, thank you, Miss Rosa. You were the spark. Started our freedom movement. Thank you, Sister Rosa Park. Can you say it again? Thank you, Miss Rosa. You were the spark started our freedom movement, thank you, Sister Rosa part. So the police came without fail and took Sister Rosa off to jail. $14 was her fine. Dr. Martin Luther King knew it was our time. So the people of Montgomery sat down to talk and decided that all God's children should walk until segregation is brought to its knees and we obtain freedom and equality. And so we say, Thank you, Miss Rosa, you were the spark. Started our freedom movement. Thank you, Sister Rosa Park. Thank you, Miss Rosa Park. Thank you, Sister Rosa Park.
3: African-American storyteller Sharon Holly from Zawadi Books and the We Are Storytellers group Up next, storyteller Karima Amin in a performance given during Friday's MLK program, once again re-recorded here for the sake of this broadcast.
2: Let's pay trivia, let's salute, the builders of our nation no one can refute. With African minds, hearts and souls, these men and women, the brave and the bold, they light a fire beside side of fire. And died of promoting our struggle. On positive ways, they deserve our honor, they deserve our praise. On the rocky road to liberation, let's give due respect to the builders of our nation. See them collectively wise and strong, moving righteously against the wrong, but truly divide us and dehumanize us these wrongs of colon. They ignore our goal to build a strong nation on the realization that we brothers and sisters work total liberation from the cradle of civilization came a first world strength to build the nation through the middle past it, whose slavery's ravaged, through black codes and lynchings and destruction so savage. But we survived the nation, builders still fight for our freedom, justice and equal rights. To America they came, not by choice, to alien land where they had no voice, till so they realized the mighty truths were us all, united we stand, divided we fall, these fathers, and mothers and sisters and brothers, were not lowly slaves, but African warriors with the will to survive. That's why we are alive. Now, hear this role of the brave and the bold, the men and women who defied the cold to struggle and strike, to give us life. Gabriel Prosser, Matt Turner, Dave Walker, abolitionists, all, we're not plays. We stand tall, sisters, brother. Sisters, tell in truth, they tall and they true, beyond a shadow of doubt. What real strength is about. The boys set the pace for the swift in this race towards justice and truth. Malcolm Epps did it too. Darby led it his way. Ida B. had her say. Booker T. had his day. And they showed us the way through words written and voiced. They said that we had the choice to lead or be led and that blood might be shed. Dr. King told us too, Rosa Parks and Fannie Lou, that the ultimate prize would allow us to rise above ignorance and pain we got a world to reclaim. Oh, it's a mighty legacy that will set us free and take the chains from our brains so that we can reclaim a sense of power and strength that makes us women and men. Woodson, Rogers, and Clark brought us out of the dark. Bethune and May said there'll be better days. Huey P. stealthily rapped. They were the cats with the map. Frederick Douglass, of course, said that we must enforce our demands in a way that will say We don't play. It's a mighty legacy that will set us free. So let's pay tribute, let's salute the builders of our nation. No one can refute with African minds, hearts, and souls. These men and women, the brave and the bold, light a fire inside us, inspire and guide us, promoting our struggles in positive ways. They deserve our honor,
3: they deserve our praise. Up next, a series of monologues and remarks. Recorded for this broadcast, written and read by various students from Buffalo's Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts.
0: This introduction is excerpted from an article by Hannah Cox. Martha Luther King Jr. once said, True peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. In order for this country to truly find its way back to the domestic tranquility promised in the U.S. Constitution, there is much injustice to be reckoned with. The symptoms of our civilization sickness are visible all around us. Over the past year, citizens across the political spectrum and in various countries was to violence to call attention to the abuses of government. But when citizens employ violence to fight wrongdoing, they often amplify their original problem, create new victims in their wake, empower government forces to enact draconian responses and lose the sympathy of those they need to persuade in order to effect change. So, what should be done about injustice? We cannot merely accept it. How can we effectively fight back? The answers can be found by examining those who have successfully challenged injustice before us and won. In honor of one, such man, and the day set aside to remember him, let's study Martin Luther King's genius theory of change. It's important to note that Almulke also studied those who came before him, he discovered the Gandhi and his teachings on nonviolent while he was in seminary. As a Christian, King noticed many parallels between these teachings and his own worldview, which instruct followers to love their enemies, pray for those who prosecute them, and turn the other cheek. King later wrote, I came to see for the first time that the Christian doctrine of love operating through the Gandhian method of nonviolence was one of the most potent weapons available to oppressed people in their struggle for freedom. He laid those principles out in his nineteen sixty-eight book, Stride Towards Freedom, the Montgomery Story. And what follows what follows is our own interpretation of them through poetry and movement. Principle one, nonviolence is not for the faint of heart. The
10: world can take so much out of you, but you endure can transform me and throwing a mountain just for you to climb. Then you're put in a maze, struggling through paths.
0: You have to find your own way. And it was hard, and it will always be, but you fought and transformed gracefully. The hardships we face are burned out. We are now embraced with a new mindset that has replaced Gul Tav. You've reached the end of that maze, so take your final bow. It was hard then, but
10: it's going to get better now. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wanted peace and freedom for the African
2: American community. He wanted all of us to be equal, to come together as one. He had a dream.
10: We are still judged by the color of our skin, and not vi- and not loved by the content of our character. No matter the shades of skin, he dreamed to soak in the hands of love of people
0: of all ethnicity, to embrace the diversity of our community, to break generational hatred, and spark a new beginning. Love conquers hate, always and forever.
10: Pass thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain me. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. This was instilled in me. Convey in God, and he will bless and save you. But the universe will bring you justice. The universe values balance. I believe that everything will balance itself, and that justice is a form of balance, a balance we can guide and nurture. But it walks with you on this journey. The universe is funny that way. It sits on your shoulders, watching you battle through life. It breathes through you and understands you, but it doesn't cry or bleed with you. It's a conditional type of love. Non-violence is the condition here. To fight and stand for what is right, for justice. The universe will guide you, and you will guide the balance that justice shall bring. The battle of non-violence overflows my mind. The universe doesn't tell you it's there, but instead watches you drown. This was instilled in me. Convey in him and who will bless and save you, but instead he watches you bleed on the pavement. Stand up, stand tall, wipe your tears. Had a faith, stand up, stand tall, wipe your tears. Convey in him, for you're all in him, and justice will be yours.
3: The students from Buffalo's Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts. This is Buffalo What's Next, bringing you highlights of this year's 43rd annual Martin Luther King Day celebration. The event closed this past Friday with a performance from Buffalo Poet Laureate Jillian Hainsworth, reading several poems, but here now she presents Black Boy.
7: I wish the little black boy did something wrong. I wish the police yelled, freeze, and the little black boy came barreling at him, aiming a gun at ease, actually life-threatening. So when the cops have to fight and the bullets take flight, no one has to hide and no one has to lie because the little black boy did something wrong. This time, I wish the video of the incident leaked on Facebook and the whole world tuned in to get a better look, and we could all collectively say, Yeah, that sucks, but he had it coming all along because this time the little black boy did something wrong. I wish I could watch it on TV with my nephews and say you see what he just did that's something you should never do because it's easier to explain why he's laying dead in the street bullet wounds still steaming from the lead and the heat than to say no justice no peace or r.i.p when the little black boy did nothing wrong and it's easier to explain what's wrong and what's right what's black and what's white than the in between where gray lies and it's easier to mourn the loss of someone a mother burying her son when you can look at her and say i'm so sorry mama but this time your little black boy was wrong. Black Lives Matters is not a badge of honor. It's not a hate group. It's a message to our youth. It's a reminder saying you mean something in a world where if you go 10 miles over the speed limit, they might try to kill you. And I am so sick of saying, put the guns down, little black boys. The right to bear arms doesn't apply to you. And if your jeans are too baggy, or your voice is too loud, or you know your rights, or you live on the good side of town, or you live in the hood, or your job is too good, or your car is too nice, or your skin ain't light, or your money's too long, or your personality's too strong, be careful out there, because you might be gone, even if you're a little black boy who did nothing wrong. And in case you haven't noticed, we're still singing the same song. See, we've always been chosen when it was time for the killing. The way you choose a tomato that's ripe for the picking. I thought targets were red. When did they become black? I thought the abuse of power was dead. When did it come back? And maybe it never left. But when did it get this bad? When did the allure of equality make us wave the white flag? We've always protested the killings. We marched when Dr. King had a dream. He preached a message of freedom, and we believed everything. We looked to the hills with hope of free and better days. But we didn't notice that we were still targets. Just targets in different ways. They didn't. Us as much, but we were still their slaves. And they used systematic oppression instead of whips and chains. They compared us to each other like some were better, not the same, like we weren't all stuffed onto the same boats, like we didn't get here the same way. They locked us in cells and they threw the keys away. They left us broken in the hood, they didn't even need a grave. They sent us to the schools that were falling apart. When we finally found our leaders, they stabbed us in the heart, they sicked their dogs on us. And they hung us from trees. They made it very clear that we were never really free. You see, we drank from different fountains. Success with different tools. We used the back door. We followed different rules. We were taught that we were different. And that different ain't right. That's why to this day, speaking proper is speaking white. But as our standards rose, their fears grew. They were stunned when we sat at that counter singing we should not be moved, and they were afraid when Rosa Parks sat at the front of the bus, and when a white man went in her seat, she refused to get up. They panicked when Malcolm X gathered a group of his brothers when we policed the police and made life safer for each other, and when Angela Davis proclaimed we ain't scared no more, we gave the ones who wanted us afraid a new goal to reach for. They realized they couldn't kill our spirits. They couldn't kill our souls, they couldn't kill our minds, and they couldn't kill our hope. So they targeted our black boys who did nothing wrong, and they killed them for wearing hoodies and playing with toy guns. They choked them for selling loosies, ignored the I can't breathe, and they didn't get in trouble. They seemed to walk away scot-free, but we can't let them get away with anything. So while they target us as individuals, we have to build our team. We have to show our youth that they are worth something and teach them to aspire for more than a pair of Jordans and some blame. When you know better, you do better. So allow me to preach. There is nothing we can't do. There is no goal beyond our reach. We are culture creators. They want to be like us. Match our style, match our swag, and it still ain't dope enough. They will try to keep us down and they will continue to be mad. So let us be great. Ignore the hates. As a matter of fact, they should target that.
3: Buffalo Poet Laureate Jillian Hainsworth from the annual Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Community Celebration. This year, it was held this past Friday at the Meriwether Library just within sight of the top shooting location on 514. I'm Dave Debo. Stay with us. Jay Moran and historian, columnist, and author Eva Doyle are next This Is. Buffalo, what's next, on WBFO.
0: Our region is home to some of the finest communities in the world. Explore them through the Our Town series produced by WNED PBS, but captured by community members on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel today.
10: WNED Classical has been conducting interviews of their own on YouTube with the classical music community. Have you ever wondered what goes into the performances you hear on WNED Classical? Head on over to our Buffalo, Toronto Public Media YouTube page to see the collection of interviews that we've orchestrated. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Watch Buffalo's Voices of Steel on YouTube. The original WNED PBS production captures the legacy of the steel industry in Western New York through the voices of the people who worked in the mills.
5: Anybody who never saw the steel plant in operation missed something. I always told my kids that they really missed to see what it was like to make steel.
10: Through remembrances of the workers, Buffalo's Voices of Steel showcases the pride Western New York still feels about its steel producing past. Watch it now on the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel, and don't forget to subscribe while you're there.
3: on the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, including a look at his Buffalo visit in 1967. Historian, author, and columnist Eva Doyle is with WBFO's
1: Jay Moran. Maybe just take us back to the 1960s. I know Dr. King made a a visit to Buffalo. What do you recall about that visit?
6: Uh, I was um, in my 20s at that time, and um, so I, I really had not remembered it until because I'm always doing research, being a writer and a historian. So I looked it up, and I found out that Dr. King came to Buffalo on November the 9th, 1967, and he spoke at Klein Hans Music Hall. He was invited by the graduate students of the University of Buffalo to come. And uh, a few weeks uh, Maybe about three weeks before he came here, Dr. King was arrested for protesting um, and, um, uh, with uh, some of his colleagues before he came to Buffalo. And then he spoke here at Klein Heads to a large audience. Members
11: of the student body of the State University of New York at Buffalo. It is always a very rich and rewarding experience uh, when I can take a brief break from the day-to-day demands of our struggle for freedom and human dignity and discuss the issues involved in that struggle uh, with college and university students.
6: And And he spoke on a number of issues. Now, this was actually a little bit during the time uh, after the buffalo riots we had a lot of riots in buffalo um jefferson and william street and so he came to buffalo he did meet with some of the black political leaders but there was another group of african-american clergy in buffalo who did not welcome dr king's visit to buffalo at that time and and actually they refused to meet with him Because Dr. King, they considered him to be at that, you have to remember the time we're talking about, 1967, they felt that he was too controversial, and they actually feared for their own lives. Dr. King was outspoken against the Vietnam War, and that scared a lot of people, because a lot of people felt that he should really stick to civil rights and not get involved with international issues. But Dr. King was very concerned about it because in his speech, he talked about all the resources going to the war. When we had so many issues here in our country, he was very concerned about the poor.
11: We could eradicate slums. We could get rid of poverty. And the beautiful thing about it is that when you get rid of poverty for the black man, it uplifts the whole society because I'm concerned not only about the poverty of the Negro, I'm not unmindful of the fact that American Indians are poor. I'm not unmindful of the fact that my Puerto Rican brothers are poor. My Mexican-American brothers are poor. I'm not mindful of the fact that my Appalachian white brothers are poor. And by solving the problem of poverty for the black man, it will solve the problem of poverty for every person who is poverty-stricken in this nation. America has the resources and in the civil rights struggle we've got to gear our efforts toward bringing this kind of program into being by putting pressure on the powers that be. What worries me so much is the question of whether our nation has the will. Certainly we could do it. We have this year a national gross product of some $780 billion and yet some 42 million people are poverty stricken. The resources are here but the will isn't here, and I'm afraid that our national administration is more concerned about winning what I consider an ill-considered and unjust war in Vietnam than about winning the war against poverty right here at home. We spend approximately $500,000 to kill every enemy soldier in Vietnam, while we spend only $53 a year in the so-called war against poverty, which isn't even a good skirmish against poverty for every individual that is considered poverty stricken
6: When he came, he not only spoke against the war here in Buffalo at Kleinhead, but he spoke, spoke on a lot of issues. He talked about integration, he talked about race.
11: Tonight I want to talk with you from the subject, the future of integration. There seems to be a desperate and even poignant question on the lips of thousands and millions of people all over our nation and all over the world. They're constantly asking whether we are making any real progress in the area of race relations. And in seeking to answer that question, I always try to avoid a superficial optimism on the one hand and a deadening pessimism on the other hand, and I try to emerge with what I consider a realistic position, and the realistic answer seeks to combine the truths of two opposites while avoiding the extremes of both. And so with the optimists and race relations, I would say we have made some significant strides over the last few decades. But then I would have to agree with the pessimists that we still have a long, long way to go. And it is this realistic position that I would like to use as the basis of our thinking together as we deal with the whole question of the future of integration.
6: He was not afraid to speak truth to power. So that scared some of the black clergy. But you know, if you go back and study history, that happened, too, when he went to Birmingham. That's one of the reasons that Dr. King wrote the letter from a Birmingham jail, because some of the black leaders, they felt that he shouldn't come there. They they, they looked up on um, Dr. King as being a troublemaker. So when he wrote that letter from the Birmingham jail, he didn't have a a lot of paper, and so he wrote it on pieces of tissue paper Mm -hmm. (laughs) to say, I'm here in Birmingham because injustice is here. Now, fast forward to today, uh, certainly we honor and we reflect on the work of Dr. King. But I have always felt this, being an educator, I I, I taught school in Buffalo for more than 30 years. I always felt that people really did not know the life of Dr. King. Hmm. Because if you think about it, whenever people talk about Dr. King or you see images on the media and the news, he's saying the... I have a dream speech, which is which was one of the greatest speeches that has ever been written. I take nothing from that.
4: I am not my, unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail
11: cells.
4: Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed, let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal.
6: I take nothing from that. But my question has always been, had we reduced Dr. King to that speech, I have a dream, and we had not really taken the time to learn about this man and all the things that he was, that he stood for. And uh, so I made it my business as an educator to make sure that students really didn't know about Dr. King. And not, not just that one speech. I used to write plays when I was teaching at the Campus West School. And, you know, when I first started teaching there, Mr. Moran, uh, I taught there for the last 25 years of my career. But I I found out that nobody in that school at that time now was really doing anything to really celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King. So I decided, and I got permission from the administrator, to every year I did an assembly program with my students for 18 straight years. I did this assembly program, and I had my, my students put on a play. I had them remember, remember his, his his speeches, not only I have a dream, but the I was a drum major for justice, all these speeches.
4: Every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about that day when we will be victimized with what is life's final common denominator. That's something we call death. We all think about it, and every now and then I think about my own death and I think about my own funeral and I don't think of it in a morbid sense and every now and then I ask myself what is it that I would want said?" and I leave the word to you this morning if any of you are around when I have to meet my day I don't want a long funeral and if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy tell them not to talk too long and every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. And I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the wall question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major. Say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter.
6: He said more than I have a dream. And so um, during that 18-year period, I was able to talk to the teachers, and I had students at that whole school from kindergarten to eighth grade participate every year in the Dr. King program. That was one way I was able to teach the students and to expose to the teachers more about the life of Dr. King. So that's the only regret I had all all these years, that we really have not learned as much as we could about Dr. King and some of the things that he stood for.
1: I'm going to follow up with this question, though, for you, because you did this research, and, and it's very commendable, and obviously it's important. At the same time, can you recall your feelings about him during his lifetime, during that time, where he was such a a part of the of the front page news, and of course, uh, his tragic death as well.
6: Yes, um, like everybody else in in America, uh, when Dr. King was assassinated, it um, affected me and everybody else that this man who was preaching nonviolence, that he was preaching. Um, the need for peace, not only in America, but all across the world, that his life would be taken by an assassin's bullet, um, a person who was uh, one of the white supremacists during that time. And, and you know, I, I, I was always reading about Dr. King, and one of the books that I read was a book called A Knock at Midnight. And I would suggest that people, if they could get that book, read that book. It's a collection of sermons uh, by Dr. King. And he talked about the fact that in the midnight hour was when you would sometimes get bad news. And when he was in the South and he was um, marching and organizing um, civil rights protests, he would get calls at midnight. Telling him to get out of town, and you know his home was bombed at one time. Hmm. Um, his, uh, uh, you know, fortunately, none of his family were injured. But he had so I, I was keeping up with all of that and reading as much as I could, and keeping up with the things that Dr. King was doing. And I had a chance to go to Atlanta to visit his home and his grave and all of that. So uh I was aware of a lot of things but, but it's still I still needed needed to learn more. I'm constantly learning. <laughs> even after all these years <laughs> I'm still doing research and I'm still learning and so that's why I wanted to remind people um about Dr. King coming to Buffalo November the ninth, nineteen sixty seven. And, um, and, and, and and a year after he came, you know, he was assassinated, mm. April 4th, 1968. So I guess my role as an educator and a historian um, is to remind people, remind people. And, and Dr. King, if you go and study all of his speeches, he talked about truth. He talked about the need to, Um, let people know the truth and not be afraid. There are a lot of things we can learn about Dr. King's life. Not being afraid to uh, speak about truth. When he he, uh, talked about racial issues when he came to Buffalo in 1967, the need to uh, confront those issues head on and not be afraid of it. And everybody can play a role in this. You, you don't have to be a great speaker or a preacher, but in your own lives and your own relationships with other people, you can do things to counter the, the race. And we still have the problems here today. They have not really gone away. And I, I was thinking about it, um, the fact that when you talk about the tragedy that happened here in Buffalo, May 14th, the Tasha Massacre, and I said to myself, Dr. King would have been the first one here to Buffalo, New York, Mm. to confront them and to bring people together to do whatever he could, knowing that we still have a lot of work to do. And uh, he was not afraid, as uh, the late uh, Congressman John Lewis coined the phrase, he was not afraid to get into good trouble.
1: <laughs> uh, it's interesting, yes. you know, how you said you, you feel that sometimes his life has been framed by that that great "I Have a Dream" speech. Yes. Is there one lesson that you've learned about Dr. King through all of your research that you definitely want people to know about him moving forward?
6: You, know, I think he said it in one of his quotes I matter of fact, uh, I I have done, writing, uh, being a columnist for the Criterion newspaper, I have written so many articles about Dr. King. And one, I think he said it, in one of his quotes he said, everybody can be, be
4: great because every person can serve. One would have thought that Jesus would have said, you are out of your place, you are selfish, why would you raise such a question? That isn't what Jesus did. He did something altogether different. He, he said in substance, Oh, I see. You want to be first? You want to be great? You want to be important? You want to be significant? Well, you ought to be. If you're going to be my disciple, you must be. But he reordered priorities. And he said, yes, don't give up this instinct. It's a good instinct if you use it right. Yes. It's a good instinct if you don't distort it and pervert it. Don't give it up. Keep feeling the need for being important, keep feeling the need for being first. But I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. That is what I want you to do. And he transformed the situation by giving a new definition of greatness. And you know how he said it? He said, Now, brethren, I can't give you greatness. And really, I can't make you first. This is what Jesus said to James and John. You must earn it. True greatness comes not by favoritism, but by fitness. And the right hand and the left are not mine to give. They belong to those who are prepared. And so Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing that I like about it By giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve.
6: To me, that's the key, that we can all serve in some capacity, whether it's education or reaching out to somebody uh, from another culture or another race, communication, working through our churches, educating our young people. No matter whether they be race, uh, whether their races are black or white, it doesn't doesn't matter. Just reaching out, out to people and communicating with um, and organizing that that's important. So, so I think just to serve. One of the things that I think that has come out of the life of Dr. King, and I'm and, and I see this a lot, is uh, we have um, a On his holiday, on his uh, celebration, we have people doing uh, a Mark Luther King Day of Service. To me, that's a great thing. We have some things happening in Buffalo. My church is involved. I'm a member of First Child Baptist Church. They're involved with people just reaching out. Reaching out to the homeless, reaching out, doing service in many capacity and a a lot of different organizations where people need help. To me, that was one of the things I think that we can take from Dr. King's life. There's so many other things, but just being able to serve and give of yourself and not being afraid of, not being afraid to work. You know, I'm at the time in my life. And I don't mind telling people how old I am. <laughs> 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 I, I've taught for over 30 years. My column I on history will be 44 years old in February. So that means that for 44 years, I have never stopped writing the column I on history, on uh, the history of African Americans and so forth. And it, it's, it's a lot of work. So when people read the column, They don't realize that I have spent two or three hours of research before I even write the column. So when I say not to be afraid of work, Hmm. Hmm. not to be afraid of heart, no matter what you're doing, and we have to teach that to our young people. Today it seems like people are afraid to work. Not to be afraid of putting forth the energy, the time, your talent, and whatever it is. Not, not to be afraid. I attended a beautiful program yesterday at the Mary Weather Library on the uh, contributions of Dr. Martin Luther King, organized by our Buffalo and Erie County Library. And there were a group of students there performing from the Academy for Visual and Performing Arts in Buffalo, and they pay tribute to Dr. King in poetry and dance. Fight and stand for what is right, for justice.
10: The universe will guide you, and you will guide the balance that justice shall bring. The end of the to all, wipe your tears.
6: I had a young person ask me once, he said, Ms. Doyle, he was trying to do a lot of writing and things. He said, what is the key? What, what, what would you tell me? I said, what, be, be, be consistent in what you're doing. If you're doing good work, don't give up. No matter what. Just keep going. I, I have to tell this story real quick. Hmm. When my husband was living, he passed away 14 years ago. But um, I was still writing my column. So one day I came home and I told him I said um, that's it I'm not gonna, I'm not writing another word. He was sitting and he was sitting in a re- recliner. <laughs> 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 and he said, "What's the problem?" I said, "This is too much work. Uh it's too much research." And then he said to me, he said, "You cannot stop. Everywhere I go in the city of Buffalo, people Talk about your column. They talk about all the uh, information you educate, the educating, the education that you are giving to people. He said, "Now, if you're tired, just take a little rest and get up and go again." Now he said that to me while he was reclining in his <laughs> recliner. <laughs> so I took his advice. I took my husband's advice. That's why I continue. To read, to write this column, to do the research, and to share as much as I can. See, it, to me, it does no good for you to have knowledge if you can, don't share that knowledge with other people. So that's my goal. Uh, as a senior citizen, uh, I my favorite. I always tell people that I consider Western New York to be my classroom Hmm. the entire western new york not just the city but the suburbs as well to teach everybody and share because it might help somebody it might make a difference in somebody else's life so i'm continuing to teach in any way
1: Well, Dr. Eva Doyle, thank you very much for teaching us a little bit about Martin Luther King, and thanks for joining us on WBFO. Thank you for
6: inviting me. I really appreciate
3: it. Historian, author, and columnist Eva Doyle is with WBFO's Jay Moran. And Buffalo, What's Next is a podcast. Just a reminder, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you can just listen, we rebroadcast each night at 9 and on demand at WBFO.org. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown. I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening.